Bookstack with Richard Aldous, the Books and Ideas podcast brought to you by AmericanPurpose.com. Coming up on the show today, John Lahr, author of the new book, Arthur Miller, American Witness. Uh, John, welcome to Bookstack. Nice to be here. Congratulations uh, on the book. And and I guess it's a, a testament to the quality of Miller's work that he's not just remembered as someone who was married to Marilyn Monroe. No, although I think that he... He wasn't, he was only a grandee of Broadway, which is a sort of modest fame. I don't think he was quite prepared for superstardom celebrity and the momentum that would overtake him. Uh, he did get swept up into her uh, circus, as it were, and uh, he had to manage a lot of her, and it took much more time and drew him away from his own work. And there was a period there between plays after uh, The Crucible, a nine-year period where he didn't write anything, didn't publish anything. Yeah, I think his uh, his, his friend, uh, the director, Elia Kazan, said that, that Miller knew nothing of the deracinating nature of superstardom. No, absolutely not. And it's sort of, one of the sort of ironies of his story is that we invest Miller, he, he was a, rare theatrical species in the sense that he was a public intellectual, rather like Tony Kushner is today. He he spoke to historical events and took political positions and defended people and was quite a a, a, a star of the, of the left, liberal left. Um, and uh, and so uh, he, he was sort of naive about uh, what he got swept into. Um, and we don't associate him with being naive, but simply being far-seeing. Uh, uh, um, and uh, so it's it's interesting when you sort of dive into a life and see how one, an, you know, a, a, a smart person can do stupid things. I mean, it's one of the the things that he said uh, when he was still a student at the uh, University of Michigan was that. Uh, he believed that he had the gift, uh, the gift that he'd given himself was the ability to speak the unspeakable. Uh, I mean, in, in some ways, that is something that he maintained throughout his entire career. Yes. Well, you know, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, he certainly saw something very, very clear at the height of his powers, which I think endures in American culture and therefore his plays endure which is he understood and dramatized, made active, the, the process of denial in, in American culture and the, the passion of the culture for ignorance. Uh, you see it in The Crucible. You see it very, very powerfully in All My Sons, where the, the, the community is actually willing itself stupid in order not to face the, their own... Um, uh, collusion in in the particular problem that there that the drama is focused on. In the case of All My Sons, it's uh, you know uh, uh, exploitation of, of during the war of business exploitation, uh, and uh, in the case of the Crucible, of course, it's witchcraft. And and this also this sense, I guess, when again when you look back to those early influences inspired by Ibsen and admiring the, the ability of marrying art and social importance in theatre, um, but also that emphasis on character over thesis that, 
You know, the, the, uh, coming back to what you just said there, that sense of engagement with society, with politics, but not in a way that is uh, perhaps two-dimensional. No, not at all. I mean, his, his uh, theatre and his concept of theatre, uh, obviously Ibsen influenced, uh, it was in contradictions that say Tennessee Williams, about whom I'm uh, in depth, uh, and Williams's Williams's plays were an expression of romantic individualism, and his plays really explore his inner state as he transforms over time. And they really, they really sort of about his personal myth. And most American theater concentrates on in on individual selves and 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 character, at, apart from the society that's shaping it. Uh, Miller had a, had a, because he, he was essentially a Marxist, saw that character, personality was not, uh, was a, a collaboration of, or that's probably the wrong word, but certainly was a mutation of this, the, the individual as shaped by the world around him. And what his plays try to do is to show this synergy between the self and the society and insist on it. Uh, uh, what, what is it in, and it's spelled out in absolutely exactly in all my sons at the finale where this, this, the son who is disenchanted with his father, who turns out to be a war profiteer says, don't to his father, don't you who has confessed to actually setting up another person to take a fall for his crime. Don't you live in the world? And the answer to that, that is no, he doesn't. We, we see that he just lives and all his activity is based on just the kingdom of self and his family. And it's interesting because that play, which was written in 1946, comes just at the time when uh, the war is over there's been uh, 10 years of a depression, a world war. And in the, what, he, what Miller was specifically speaking to was that between 45 and 55 was the highest growth in per capita income in the history of Western civilization. And America was feeling that abundance and the return of normality and the sort of, the sort of ravishments of material possession all that's in the play, and it's the tension between responsibility to the society and to yourself versus pragmatism, which he's debating. And that, that ambition is, is the dividing line between, say, he and, uh, say, Tennessee Williams, both great and very influential playwrights. But it's one of the reasons why... Miller, who was in the wilderness for decades in America uh, after the 60s, uh, is a great success in Europe. Uh, and his reputation never faltered in Europe because Europe, uh, Europeans and England, the English theater, for instance, because I live in London, so I'm aware of it more. They understand the argument, and that's how they define individualism. The, the American, if you live in America, you don't realize that uh, the American breed of individualism is completely, well, it's virulent, and it's completely different 
than the European idea, which is, is, is connected to the community much more defined. The self is defined by it's engaged by other institutions, uh, in, a, in a way that it's not in America where the game is to see how far you can take the, the, the destiny of me, so to speak, how, 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 how you can build that up. Yeah, and you, you give an example at the at the end of the book, actually, of the, the play Broken Glass, which is a you know pretty much a, a failure in it in its Broadway run, but then goes to London in a performance with the with the actor Anthony Sher uh, and as a triumph and wins the Olivier Prize and 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 so on. And and it, and in in many ways I, I think Miller's uh, Miller's wife says that, you know, you've enabled him to go on writing or kind of words to that effect. She did say that. But you know, the funny thing is there was a poll run by the National Theatre about the most important playwright, you know. And Miller came in first. I mean, I, I mean, it really, uh, I, I think it's not just, it's not the poetry. I mean, he wasn't the writer. He's not a great prose writer like uh, Williams is, or a poet like Williams is. But where he's distinctive is that he has, in the best plays, he has been able to penetrate and dramatize, uh, which goes back to your initial issue of what he said about his gift. He's able to locate psychological states which absolutely uh, under uh, the undertow of American life. Envy, for instance, in *The Death of a Salesman*, he's able to find characters and a way of expressing that. So it 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 turns the inside out of a psyche, and so we can see it and understand it better. So that's the gift, I think. I mean, he didn't didn't always have it in the beginning. Uh, and uh, as often playwrights don't, it takes a while to actually find an audience and then learn from it. And uh, after the 60s, he sort of, and this is not uncommon, I, I, mean, I think the life, with a few exceptions, the life of a playwright is about 15 years. And as the c culture changes and tastes change, it happens with comedians. I, I know, because my father was one, that... He's doing the same stuff, but the audience has another. The audience has changed. It's been transformed by society. Has other fears. The mojo isn't quite working in the same way, you know. And again, I, I think his his friend, the director Kazan, says says at one point you quote him, "How many plays does a really good writer have in him?" Indeed, and although what Miller was, whereas Miller made. Uh, a rather, I think, vain uh, distinction between, I mean, they were friends, but he and Williams were completely different animals. I mean, Williams was unboundaried, and, uh, and Miller, as Mailer said, had all the, the synapses of a banker. Um, completely, completely different. The fact is, Miller was more... Uh, subtle in a sense or more his plays are also incredibly autobiographical but the the autobiography is uh, alibied in different characters but you can see if you you study his life and understand what he was struggling with you see it expressed very clearly uh his arguments with his between himself and his older brother 
his the betrayal of his parents of their children uh all that stuff comes out uh, one way or another i mean of course the trauma of oppression which he lived through that's a subject uh, that reticulates through an awful lot of the work naturally and and what about what about anti-semitism uh, this book is part of yale's jewish life uh, series i I was interested, in fact, at one point when he's at Michigan, uh, he, he, he says to his parents that actually people didn't know that he was Jewish unless he actually told them that he was. Well, not only didn't he, the people know he was Jewish, Miller actually writes uh, at, some, uh, at some point that um, when he says, and I'm going to read you something here. He says, when I first heard, probably not until I left home for college, Jews re- referred to as the people of the book, I mistook it to mean books in general rather than the Bible. I mean, he, he was raised in, in Harlem, which at the time had uh, 15% of, the, of all Jewry lived in, 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 uh, in Harlem. So he, but he, he, and he says in time bends that he, he you know he they the family didn't know any gentiles but miller was not particularly religious he was a political animal and uh, he he did write and, and 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 found again he wrote out of his own experience always as kazan says he he was he began in at michigan before he became a playwright he went he began as a kind of reporter and in a sense, he he was, always was a reporter. He was a witness to things, um, and he was able to dramatize a lot of what he experienced. Kazan says he couldn't write about anything that he hadn't experienced, and he did experience an, an enormous amount of anti-Semitism uh, uh, growing up. And his his novel uh, Focus uh, was actually the first novel. Uh, published in America, I believe, on the subject, and certainly predates um, Morrissey Hobson's um, uh, Gentleman's Agreement. And it's it was an immediate success, and it was the thing that actually uh, he failed to write a successful Broadway play. Uh, I think he was in the wilderness trying for about nine years after he graduated from University of Michigan. And uh, he sort of he had one terrific flop that ran for four performances on Broadway. The man who had all the luck, and he gave up the theater really. And then Focus, which was the novel about anti-Semitism and looking at the psyche of an anti-Semite and the objectifying imagination of hatred, um, that sold ninety thousand copies, and it gave him enough confidence to make one last stab writing a Broadway play because he had experienced in in his attempts to get shows that people often admired the writing, but they didn't want a Jewish play on Broadway. The producers were nervous about that. And you you show as well that, that 1930s and 40s Broadway was not a particularly fertile environment anyway. At one stage, you say that Broadway is a place that plays went to die. Right. But I mean, O'Neill referred to Broadway as a show shop. And to the extent that 
it was a place uh, that it was, you know, all the talent, all the musical comedy talent, all the comedian, more or less, the, the predominantly were Jewish. Uh, and, and the musical is really a Jewish art form. Um, and so, but that's what they were selling was distraction. What Miller wanted to engage the public in some sort of discussion. I mean, Clifford Odets wrote a very Jewish play, which was a great hit on Broadway called Awake and Sing. But once he became a famous playwright and the, and the pressures of the box office asserted themselves, his, 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 his plays became less, for lack of a better word, ethnic. I mean, I mean, it, is, it, it makes it all the more remarkable, I guess, that, that Miller has that success with Death of a Salesman yeah, but you know, he, he box clever there because he maintains, you and I know from listening to the rhythms of the writing, that that's a Jewish, that, that Willie Loman is a Jewish character and that Loman ha is in a sense a Jewish name, but he claimed that he got that from a movie character who uh, was called Loman, uh, who was calling for help. You know, he, he he never wanted to actually say that he was Logan was a Jewish character. So the the you said before that uh, that Miller was essentially a political animal, and I I guess that's one of the things that leads him to his mo by far his most famous and his most successful play, The Crucible. Um, you you quote him. Uh, as saying that he he actively wanted to respond to the climate of fear. And of course, that climate of fear was all around things like the uh, House uh, Un-American Activities Committee, uh, McCarthyism, and, and, and so on. So that, that, tell us why that play was so important at the time and why it's endured as, as his most successful play. Well, first of all, you have to understand the moment to what, that he was meeting. At the time, after, in, 19, in 1946, the Republicans, for the first time since 1931, uh, took control of the Congress. And in that period, after again, remember, after the war, all this abundance, the Russia had uh, taken uh, control of the Eastern Bloc. Mao Zedong had uh, had the Communist Revolution in China. Communism was playing bigger in uh, in Europe, especially in Italy. And America, and, the, and you can see an absolute corollary between then and, say, now, and all the spaghetti that the Republicans are whipping up at the moment, that there was a sort of climate of, they whipped up a climate of hysteria. And in that period, they, um, they created, American created the CIA, the House Committee on Un-American Activities, the Federal Employee Loyalty Program. And between 47 and 53, over uh, 4.8 million federal employees had to fill out uh, loyal, uh, loyalty forms uh, lo 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 and were investigated. And, uh, the nation was uh, ready for witch hunts, as, as uh, David Halberstam wrote. And so uh, what was, in, in about 1951, Miller wrote in the New York Times, he called out what he called, and this is this is how this phrase indicates his, in my view, his tenure. 
the lis- lizardic dormancy uh, of the uh, of the playwrights. He 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 wanted them to face and call out and do battle with the the undertow of uh, reaction and hysteria. And uh, he in the end he he did it himself. What what he was trying to do and what he succeeds in 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 the crucible of doing, and we see it absolutely couldn't be more pertinent than it is today in, say, uh, claims of voter fraud or uh, paranoia, how paranoia operates in a society and how the the, the passion of a culture for ignorance uh, in order to deny what they know is wrong, but they want to preserve, in a sense, their own idea of their innocence. So they, the forgetfulness and the, uh, the a need, uh, in the case of House of American Activities Committee, these shows what, where it's parallel to House of American Activities is the, the demonstration of constrition, where the, to a certain extent in Salem, courts were the equivalent of a parole board where you came and pulled and they listened to your case and they either condemned you to go back to, to death or they gave you uh, they gave you the right uh, you could prove your allegiance to authorities in this case in the case of the Puritans the belief in Jesus Christ and the rules of the community you could then rejoin the community, but you had to be cleansed. And that's really what was going on in the House of American Activities Committee. And although we talk in general about the McCarthy hearing, do you know how many many, uh, subversives the McCarthy hearings actually found? None. Zero. Which of, co- which, of course, is not to say that there weren't communists operating within the State Department and, and so on. But, it, but, that, but that's a different question. No, not at all. That's that, absolutely, absolutely right. But the, the House of Activities Committee were, go, were, you know, let me put it to you this way. The, 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 the Salem witch hunters, the, 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 the courts accepted what they called spectral evidence. In other words, if somebody accused you of something, you had to defend yourself. And the, the same thing w- was true in the McCarthy hearings. They were going back, people who, like Miller's brother, who was a communist, and Miller claimed that he'd never been a communist, but he certainly was in the circle of a very... Uh, radical uh, left people for a very good reason, as was Odette's, as was Kazan, who was incidentally a communist for 18 months. Uh, because the, 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 the economic system had collapsed. People were looking for answers. There was no leadership. And it was perfectly, it was not, it was, it was legal to be a, a member of the Communist Party in that time. So they, they had to go back and retrace and they, innuendos and as we know has been as as has been dramatized endlessly people left America lost their jobs committed suicide 
it was a, another kind of witch hunt, but the same, uh, based on very little in terms of the the hysteria and of course his his friend kazan was one of the was one of the people who named names but you know that's a very interesting issue because miller kazan testified twice once behind closed doors but when he was he had by the time he was called to testify he was not only the greatest stage director of the of the mid 20th century by far he directed the three most important plays of of uh, that period streetcar death of a salesman and the skin of our teeth um and he had turned he'd also won the academy award already for gentleman's agreement uh i may be wrong about that i can't remember but the point is he saw his future in film, not in the theater. He'd done as much as he could. He had, as I mentioned, been a, a communist and quit the Communist Party because in his experience in the group theater, he felt that the communists had tried to infiltrate the leadership. And he saw no reason for def- trying to sort of uh, defend something he didn't feel was... Uh, putting his career on, uh, on the line for something he felt was wrong. And that was the mission. And that, you know, that, that the break, and it, although it didn't last uh, forever, but the break that, that Miller and Kazan had over that was in many ways, one of the inspirations for the, for the crucible. But I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm struck that, that, it, that it, it really is, uh, it's not just about then. It's one of those works like Animal Farm that, speaks to its own time, but also has this timeless quality to it. Even recently, uh, there was a, a very successful production on uh, Broadway that was a kind of a sellout production. So it still, it still has this kind of ability to speak to audiences, you know, 50, 50, 60 years later. Well, you see, it's not, I, I completely agree with you, Richard, but it's it, it, why it speaks to people isn't because of the historical news that it's bringing. It's the emotional, psychological uh, struggle or paranoia of the violent innocence of, uh, that's being uh, enacted where people transfer their own, uh, their own aggression into other people uh, you know, and maintain, in order to maintain their own idea of purity. Uh, that's what hooks up with our moment and, and in almost every moment, because it's eternal in human behavior, but it's a quite hard, takes a very skilled writer to sort of trap that psychological reality. I mean, you know, Gore Vidal used the phrase, uh, United States of amnesia, but the forgetfulness, the willingness to make yourself stupid or to see the to hallucinate in a sort of hysterical way, uh, which he dramatizes, is um, quite pertinent to American culture and all in other cultures too, but really prevalent in America. Now, you you conclude the book by saying that that Miller is part of the American story, uh, which is not quite the same thing as saying that he was a great playwright. Do you, do you think that he was? Oh no. I- no, I think it's an indication of how great he was that you really, it's part of, 
his plays are defining to the culture. I mean, if you want to, to, to know what our moment was, you have to, you have to know him. Um, because the, because he, the, no, I absolutely, he becomes part of the story of a culture. Very few people become part of the story of a culture. So I think it goes, uh, he goes deep into the culture, you know, in, in, in many ways. And I, I wonder as well whether the writing of plays is a, something that is a very 20th century phenomenon in the way that it can impact uh, society. That I, I, do, do you think that Arthur Miller uh, working today, would he be, I don't know, writing a musical like Hamilton? No, no, not at all. Or would, would, he be on, would he be writing a television series? Would, 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 he still, would he still be... Where are the Arthur Millers today, I wonder? That's my question. Well, I think, I think there... You know, I think the answer is there are... I mean, I think Tony Kushner comes very close uh, in his best work. Uh, and he actually has written both a great play, a great, an epic play, uh, Angels in America, and also a great musical, I think. I don't think Ar Arthur could uh, write a musical. I don't think uh, that was his strength. I think, and I think one of the things that happened to Arthur, because he was so uh, venerated, he, and, and Kazan mentions this in his autobiography, he became, uh, uh, he, he became enamored of the joys of being right. He became Lincoln-esque, and uh, there was, it's one of the dilemmas of the kind of fame that he had, was that he, he was sort of always watching himself go by. When he became self-conscious, his plays lost the kind of... He wrote out of an ambivalence and uncertainty trying to figure out things. When he thought that he was right and he was teaching, then the plays lost a lot of their life. Um, and the play... He kept writing plays right up until his death in 2005, but his last, in my view, his last really outstanding play was uh, The Price in 1967. Uh, so he had a long time of, of fallow period, with the exception of uh, Broken Glass, as you mentioned, which is not. Uh, it was a great performance, but it's not. A, a, it doesn't have the range or ambition of the early one. And maybe, why should it? People uh, get older. Audiences change. He kept working in the theater, but I don't think... It, I think... After Vietnam, his sense of the society changed, and I don't—I I know because I've read correspondence that he didn't understand it with quite the same authority that he did the post-war period where he was writing great plays. And that word "post-war" seems important to me—that that essentially he is the great playwright of the post-war era, and that that that's his period. But he. But he still manages to speak uh, to us beyond that. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think you're asking, to, you know, if you wanted, plays are time capsules. They could only reflect their time. And they, of course, within that, they, they can be truths and characters or uh, psychological issues which transcend that moment. But... Uh, it's a, it's certain, you know, it's, 
it's a shame defining what he did until, I mean, it, it, the impact, I don't think that there are, there may be three plays in the 20th century that have had, I mean, I would say, I would say uh, Streetcar and um, Angels in America and Death of a Salesman really were volcanic in 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 different ways, but they really change something in, in, in what the what the theater could say and how it could say it. You know, they opened that up, and uh, you know, a change how we how we think. You know, the theater it's 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 strange as we get move farther. The theater brings people together, and that there's not in my view that we are losing the kind of uh, connection between the human gesture and the, the, the heart. And uh, the theater, that's the thrill of the theater, to be there and to think together about a problem. It's different when you watch a streaming. You're getting entertained, but you're being tickled to death at the same time. You've got to work much harder in the theater, which may be one of the reasons why it is, is, it is uh, less of a popular art form uh, but uh, it's nonetheless important because most of the things we're shown are are commercial agreements between the author and the producers and the, the network that the individual voice is still the uh, realm of the theater the, in, the individual writer's voice and that's that's great and that's why it's unique and that's why even if in future generations, the the audience numbers shrink. It doesn't stop the importance of the theater uh, to the community. There's still there's still going to be storytellers, you know, people who want to be there to hear the stories. So the book is Arthur Miller, American Witness. It's written by my guest John Law and published by Yale University Press. Uh, but for now, John, congratulations again, and thanks for joining us on Bookstack. It was a pleasure. So that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check our website, AmericanPurpose.com, and to leave us a review on who is produced by Laura Silverman. Do join us again next week. But for now, this is me, Richard Alder, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>